uh, to come back to you, you're going to have to learn to sow. So there's some self-interest in this topic of forgiveness. We want to receive it. We've got to learn how to give it. But the next question that comes up is the question, how do I know that I've been forgiven? And how do I know, not only that I've been forgiven, I guess I should say, how do I know that I have forgiven? I mean, am I sure? Now, you may think you've forgiven. And can I just share with you, and again, you can hit iTunes or get you a CD from last week and uh, listen to everything that was said. I can't, I can't review all that. But I told you last week about this sneaky feeling. Any of you ever have a sneaky feeling, one that you felt like you've resolved, but it just keeps coming back? I call it a sneaky feeling. There have probably been hundreds of instances in my life to have forgiven people. And most of the time, I think I do a pretty good job at, at forgiving and, and, and letting some things go. But every now and then, there's this one thing. It's a sneaky feeling. You think you've dealt with it. It's not even, the funny thing about this sneaky feeling is it's not even as egregious a sin as other sins against me have been in times past. Now figure that one out. I mean, if we were going to rate things that have offended us, I'm sure all of us could put up a little scale here and say to ourselves, well, this one was a big offense, this one was a smaller offense, and, and we can rate our offenses. But truth of the matter is, is, is that this sneaky feeling isn't the greatest of offenses. It, it's one of these lesser offenses, and the only thing I have come to the conclusion of, and that is I must have had sort of, you know, and, and a, a, a tilting point where, where one offense was produced that for whatever reasons produced that sneaky feeling that about the time you think you've let it go, you give it a month or two and it'll come right back and grab you. So how do you know if you've really forgiven somebody? How do you know? You may think you have. You may have gone to an encounter, and we deal with all of this at encounter. You stood there as we instructed you. You lifted them up. You let them go. You did everything that you were asked to do. But then there's this sneaky feeling that comes along two months later. How do you know for sure? I was watching television with Trace last night. We were watching 48 Hours. I don't know if anyone watched 48 Hours last night, but, but there was a program that dealt with a young man who for three years plotted and planned and executed a murder on his own family. It was just a remarkable, really despicable thing that took place. No one expected him to have been one to have done this. He has someone else shoot, come in and shoot his whole family, actually shot him in the arm to make it look like he would, was involved in the, in the, in the actual... Uh, a perpetration of the crime, but, but, but it was just to fake everyone out to get them off of his trail. And eventually, you know the story, he gets caught, goes, goes to uh, court. His father happened to live through the crime. His mother and his brother were killed in that crime. And, and his dad, believe it or not, came to the courtroom and pled for his son's life that they might not send him to the electric chair, that they might not give him capital punishment. And they asked his father, how could you, you do this? And he said, I, I just, he's my son, he's my only living relative. What he did was absolutely terrible, it was despicable, but I've been called to forgive. And I thought to myself, my Lord, how do you forgive that? How do you know that you've forgiven that? I thought of another news magazine show that I'm sure some of you have watched in one form or fashion. Have you ever seen lately how there are people who are being released from prison? And the reason they're being released from prison after 10 or 20 years, in fact, I believe the gentleman that I was watching had been in prison nearly 20 years. But now we live in a day where there is DNA evidence. And so they reopened his case and they did some DNA testing and after testing the DNA and going through the case, they found out that he wasn't the criminal. Can you imagine going to prison for 20 years, knowing that you were innocent the whole time, and then suddenly 
after some DNA testing or some technology comes to pass, they finally figure it out that you weren't the criminal, but 20 years of your life has been spent behind bars. I mean, oops just doesn't seem to be enough. How do you forgive that? I mean, how do you know, how do you know that you've forgiven that? Well, the story here in Genesis for about 10 chapters is the story of Joseph. And, and most of you, I would suspect, at least probably at a, at a general level, know the story of Joseph. And most of the time, whenever I've taught on Joseph's life, I always started at the beginning, and I talked about all of the injustices, and of course, God raises him up into a great destiny, and that's a, that's a legitimate teaching that can come out of Joseph. But if you begin to look at the last part of the account of Joseph, there are some things that start to stick out here that are really quite remarkable. And, and to be honest with you, I overlooked it until I started reading that book I told you about last week from R.T. Kendall, which is entitled Total Forgiveness. He uses Joseph as an example of how you know. How do you know that you've been, not that you've been forgiven, but that you have forgiven? How do you really know if you've dealt with that in your life? Genesis 45. Let me read just a few verses. Just bear with me. It's the end of the story. It says, Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out. Now, you'll recall, and I'll go through this in just a minute. Joseph had been through all these injustices. He'd gone through these incredible, unfair situations. And now, all of a sudden, the brothers that had caused this whole thing are before him. And it says that, that, that he could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he, meaning Joseph, wept aloud. And the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now, listen to this. If you don't have this underlined in your Bible, you need to get this phrase underlined. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. You shall be near to me, you and your children, your children's children, your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I'll provide for you, lest you and your household uh, and all that you have come to poverty, for there are still five years of famine. And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen, and you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. I'm going to stop there. How do I know that I've forgiven somebody? Let's talk about Joseph here for just a minute. Joseph, Joseph was a young man that loved, obviously loved the Lord. He would have had to have had some level of relationship with God because he received dreams. He received visions from the Lord. And he had received this incredible vision from the Lord. Most of us know the story about how, how his brothers were represented in these sheaves and the sheaves bowed down to him. And, and it was just this remarkable vision of destiny that was going to take place in Joseph's life. But despite the fact that Joseph loved God and that he received dreams and that God interacted with him, uh, there was still a lot, I believe, that was wrong in Joseph's life. You see, Joseph had trouble keeping his mouth shut. We call that temperance. He came after God had given him this dream, and he told all of his brothers. Now understand, he's the youngest of the brothers here. And so he comes bouncing up to his brothers and he tells all his older brothers this dream that God gave him how one day they would all bow to him. 
That is the definition of clueless. You're clueless if you think all your siblings are going to rejoice when they hear one day you're going to rule over them. And it made them mad. In fact, it made them so mad that they wanted to kill him. Now, can I just share this with you? If you had a little brother that came up and told you one story and had this dream, and it was the first time he'd ever done it, I doubt that you would instantly move to murder. So what that tells me is, is that Joseph was probably a chronic pain. He wore them out. This was the straw that broke, no pun intended, the camel's back. And so here the brothers are, they've had all they can take with Joseph, and so they're going to kill him, but then they decide, hey, I tell you what, let's do, they become entrepreneurial. They say, let's just sell him. We'll sell him to this band of Ishmaelites, and then we'll dump some animal blood on the coat, take it back to dad, and tell him that he was killed, but we would have have gotten the money, and we'll never have to deal with him again. How many of you know that is a ruthless family right there? So they concoct this story in front of their dad. They, they show him the coat to prove it, and his dad goes into great mourning because he lost his son, Joseph. Now we travel several hundred miles, and now we find Joseph. Joseph was sold to the Ishmaelites, and the Ishmaelites then give him to Potiphar, and here he is in Potiphar's house. He's serving Potiphar and apparently he's a valuable employee he serves the house of Potiphar he finds favor there in the house of Potiphar God begins to raise him up even in a in a tough situation it is also apparent that Joseph was well built he was handsome apparently he had six-pack abs and all the things that would make him look good and Potiphar's wife noticed Joseph And not only did she begin to flirt with Joseph, but she began to seduce Joseph. And in this seduction, one time as she was calling him to come lie with her, the Bible tells us that he refused. In fact, he not only refused, but he ran. And the thing I like at this point was not so much that he wasn't afraid of getting caught, as some people are, but the Bible tells us that he was more afraid of displeasing God. Isn't that a good thing? I mean, some people stay out of sin because they say, what if I get caught? But it's a better thing to stay out of sin because what if I displease God? But through all of this, he either embarrassed her or he scorned her. And to hell hath no fury, like a woman scorned. Now, that's not the Bible. That's just a saying. I want you to know that. But she accuses him of rape. So Potiphar believes his wife and instantly puts Joseph in prison. Now get this, Joseph sold into slavery just because he's just a pain to his brothers. He serves in Potiphar's house and he's falsely accused and now he's put into prison because he did what was right. Are you getting this? You've got to begin to realize, folks, that sometimes we are persecuted for righteousness' sake. We kind of lost that in current Christianity. We think if it's all good, it's God. If it's all tough, it's the devil. It doesn't work quite that cleanly. Sometimes you can do what is right and be persecuted for righteousness' sake. And so here he is, having done nothing wrong up to this point, but he's thrown into prison, and I believe once in prison, it starts a period of preparation in Joseph's life. God's beginning to use this prison to prepare him for that which he had originally told him years ago as a teenager. But let's make no mistake about it. If all that had happened to him had happened to you, would you not think that there was a lot here to be bitter about? I mean, his brothers are cruel to him. He's falsely accused. He's placed in a prison. God seems to be allowing all of these things. And if we stopped here, Joseph would have many offenders that he would have to begin to forgive. But it doesn't stop here. No, no, no. It goes on. It's amazing. About the time you think you've got all you can take, there's just a little bit more that piles on. He's in prison, and he meets a baker and a cupbearer. And while he's in prison and meets these two people, they get dreams, and he begins to interpret their dreams to them. I don't know how much I would have liked to interpret it, but he looks at one, and he says, you're going to be released and find favor. And he looks at the other one and says, sorry, dude, you're going to die. And that's exactly how it played out. Joseph 
was absolutely right. But there was something about Joseph, even in being right, that had not yet worked into his life. I want to read to you in Genesis 40. Well, let's go back just a couple chapters. Listen to what Joseph says once he gets the dream right with the cupbearer and the baker. He says this, he says, But remember me when it is well with you, and please show kindness to me, and make mention of me to Pharaoh, and get me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews, and also I have done nothing here that they should put me into this dungeon. Did you read that? He begins to make his case before uh, the, the cupbearer. Joseph wants to seize on the moment to really begin to vindicate himself, to begin to even manipulate his way out of his problem. And, and so let's call time out. How many of us would have done exactly the same thing? Sure we would have. I just interpreted your dreams. I'm 100% in the prison. Come on now. It, it was an unjust case, an unjust cause. Come on, you can work this out. I've helped you out. Now you can help me out. I'm not really supposed to be here. If you knew the whole story, you would see that instantly. And we would do the same thing Joseph did. We would begin to defend ourselves. Truth is, God wanted Joseph out of prison as much as Joseph wanted out. But here's the difference between Joseph and you and me and God. God has larger plans than just getting you out of prison. Are you hearing me? I understand your major point at the moment is I'm in prison this this isn't right this is unjust this is unfair and your biggest point it's your forest that's in front of your face at the moment that's the issue of your life and you're saying God get me out and you need to understand God wants you out but the plan isn't just about getting you out it's about getting you to something just as he was with the Israelites. He just didn't want them out of Egypt. He wanted them into the promised land. That's most of our problems. All of us want out of something. We just aren't committed enough to get to something. And, and so God has this, this larger plan. And so God decides he's going to delay it some more. Can you say hallelujah? You're crazy. Think about that. Why would I say praise God to a delay? We don't like delays. Do you understand sometimes God is in the delay? Do you understand when God delayed our closing on our property, I was irritated. Because I felt like that's where we needed to be. Tim Price can tell you the whole story. I was kind of irritated. We got to be done with it. Well, you know, we delayed and, and finally we closed. And you know why God did it? Because he saved us about $3,000 a month by delaying. See, I was just wanting to be out of it. God said, I've got bigger plans than just getting you out of something. And I believe, this is just what I believe, that God kept him in that prison until he had dealt with the issues that had got him in that prison and he began to work through his feelings of unforgiveness. Something had to have happened to Joseph those last two years in prison. It had to. It had to. Can you not... Can you not Think if you were Joseph in that prison, would you not have fantasized of the day that your dream that you got back years ago would come true? Would you not fantasize of that moment that God would somehow raise you up and bring all your brothers to you and they would come and each one of them would grab a portion of your leg, weeping before you, pleading and begging for forgiveness and that you would have the moment to say, gotcha! Gotcha. Sure it is. We all fantasize at that moment when we could, you know, of course, a lot of us are just spiritual enough we know not to say it. But our problem is whether you say it or not, it's still in you. Like the I told you so. And yet there's no grudges in Joseph. There's no bitterness. There's no sign of vengeance. And then lo and behold, a couple years later, Pharaoh has a dream. And through this dream, the cupbearer remembers Joseph and his talent, calls Joseph out, and he comes and interprets the dream for Pharaoh. You know what the dream is, seven years of plenty, seven years of lack. And Pharaoh catapults Joseph into prominence. 
And here is Joseph, think about this, without manipulating the situation, without getting his hands all over it, without him having to force something to happen, God fulfills the dream. And as soon as God fulfills the dream, guess who comes knocking? His brothers. Now, I understand we move from chapter to chapter here, but I'm gonna, I, I just counted it up and I figured it out. It was 22 years. 22 years from the moment he was sold to the Ishmaelites to the moment his brothers come and stand before him as he is now the ruler, second in command in Egypt. Joseph instantly recognizes his brothers. They don't recognize him. I'm sure Joseph has physically changed through the years. Joseph is now speaking Egyptian. The Bible tells us interpreters were around him. So they're clueless. The brothers are clueless as to who they're standing in front of and who they've come to beg in front of. But here is Joseph's opportunity to demonstrate something that took place inside of him. How did he do that? How did, how did Joseph demonstrate true forgiveness? Now there are some things that I, I want you to consider in what Joseph did with his brothers. After last Sunday, I had several people, some by email, others just came and asked me. I had several people ask me about the application of forgiveness in certain situations. For instance, what happens if a crime took place against me? What happens if there was uh, a legal problem or, God forbid, something despicable like a rape or a murder? I mean, I mean, how does forgiveness work in all of those things? Let me just share this with you. We are commanded to forgive everyone. But forgiving everyone does not mean that the justice system is circumvented. Are you with me? That doesn't mean that, that there isn't a repercussion that comes from the sin. Forgiveness can be offered no matter what. Sometimes you can forgive a criminal, but most of the time they need to face the consequences of their criminal offense. Total forgiveness doesn't mean we close our eyes to those who will continually harm us. The best example I can give this is, is when Paul looked at the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and he said that there was an incestuous man who was living and, and, and worshiping in that church that wasn't being dealt with. In other words, he, he wasn't responding to how people were needing to deal with him. And, and there came a place that you can't leave that stuff just untouched forever. If, if there are certain areas, you're, you're, you're doing a disservice to other people by not letting justice run its course. So I simply tell you this, does a rapist need to go to jail? Absolutely. Does a murderer need to go to jail? Absolutely. Does a child abuser need to go to jail? Absolutely. Forgiveness, forgiveness doesn't mean you just let everybody off the hook. Here in Charleston, I, I just thought this was interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't set it up like this, but I think it was yesterday's paper. It was front news front page news most of you know that a local or local economist by the name of Al Parrish is being sentenced to decades behind bars most of us have heard the story because it is right here in our own community of how millions were fraudulently taken and I don't know about you I've not lost the kind of money apparently some of these people have lost but I've had things taken from me if you've ever had taken something taken from you that meant a lot to you, you know how hard that can be. I was just reading in the paper. I want you to listen to, these are quotes from people. I just pulled it out of the paper knowing what I was going to share this, this morning. Listen, listen to what just a couple of them said here. One said this, we had to sell our house, we had to sell our boat. I now feel different about people. There should be no mercy. There is no punishment too severe for Al Parrish. He stole 25 years of hard work. He deserves no deal, no shortcut. Another one says, I was hoping for 30 years. It's still a death sentence, which is okay with me. He stole a bunch of my life. Then the reporter, speaking of somebody who was there, apparently a 90-year-old woman who had lost quite a bit of money. They wanted to see the maximum sentence. They practically begged for it. When this person finished telling his story to the judge, he turned to face Parrish, who had listened with little show of emotion to all those sad stories of lives he ruined. And this person looked him straight in the eye and said, I hope you rot in hell. Some people at the courthouse Thursday thought that might be letting him off easy. Now listen to me very carefully. 
Does he need to pay the debt to society and the repercussion of his wrong actions? Absolutely. But I'm going to tell you something. Those people, some of these right here that were quoted in the newspaper, are going to live in torment the rest of their lives if they don't get to the place where internally they can forgive. I'm not saying spring them from jail. I'm just saying you've got to learn to forgive. Some way, somehow, they're going to have to get to that place that they can release the offense. You say, but that's, that's, that's such a massive thing. Folks, all of our offenses are massive. Maybe you weren't taken from you know, thousands and tens of thousands of dollars. Maybe, maybe your situation is far less egregious. And I don't know how we rate those things. But truth of the matter is, forgiveness on my part does not release them from the repercussions on their part. It simply sets me free. To begin to live my life. Most of our forgiveness issues are on a much smaller basis. But I use Joseph to say that if this can be done at Joseph's level, then how much more could it be done with the things we face? So what did he demonstrate? I'm going to go through this. Seven quick things. Write them down. Got a pencil? This is refrigerator stuff you can put right up there. Number one. I know you're going to groan. I groaned when I went through this. Do not let anyone know what someone said about you or did to you. Genesis 45.1, isn't that interesting? He clears out the whole room. Make everyone go out from me. Nobody was in the room. No one stood with him, it says, while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Apparently nobody in Egypt needed to know what happened. If they had known, I suspect now that Joseph was in such high esteem that his brothers well could have been fearful of their lives. They could have been hurt or they could have been killed by the masses who now love Joseph and who he was. So Joseph decides he's not going to let anyone eavesdrop. He's not going to let anyone else know what's going on. He clears the room. Now, I thought, why do we like to talk about it so much? Can I just share this with you? Usually it's our way of punishing them. It's our way of getting even. It's our way of saying, well, you know, serves them right. Now, again, if you're in counseling or you're in therapy or you're in some professional situation, sure, you need to share the details, you need to get it out, and you need to begin to resolve the issues that are before you that are creating this bitterness and offense. But can I just share this with you? Everybody in town ain't your counselor. All your friends are not therapists. You got to get to who and where can get you help And then you need to begin to trust God as the only one who may ever get to know. But if he knows, he's the one that can handle it best. Number two, don't allow anyone to fear you or to be intimidated by you. It says here that he wept aloud and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph's weeping. He says to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Does my father live? But his brothers couldn't answer him. They were were dismayed in his presence. But then he said, don't be grieved or angry with yourselves. See, Joseph, Joseph was aching to let them know. He was aching to let them know that that it was him. And he didn't want them to fear. He says here, he says, don't be grieved, don't be angry. He didn't want them to be fearful. You know, it gives us a little bit of pleasure to know that those who have hurt us may fear us. This is years ago, and I do mean this is years ago. I had, and I can tell you the story just, just for appropriate illustrative purposes. I'll, I'll leave the names out to protect the innocent. But years ago, I had a pastor in town hire a staff member of mine without a courtesy call. Now, you may not know this because you don't deal in this realm, but there are certain protocols there are certain ethics that ministers try to adhere to when they interact with each other in a city and this person hired a staff pastor and didn't give me a courtesy call and it was for the direct purposes of soliciting people from the church now these things don't get run up the flagpole they don't get announced it's not put in the paper but ethically behind the scenes that's how it works with pastors and i was i'll just tell you i was aggravated I was, I was just plain old aggravated. 
And I remember one time I was in a hospital and I was walking down the hallway and it was a long hallway and there at the end of the hallway, this, this local pastor turned the corner and he started walking down the hallway and when he saw me coming, he quickly shot down another hallway. Now there was something in me that liked that for just a moment. I'm just being truthful. Yeah, you ought to duck, dude. You ought to run. You're lucky I'm not running after you. I mean, that's your feeling. That's not right. That's not how it's done. This is not, isn't how it's supposed to be. Now, listen to me. I can't control the righteousness or unrighteousness, and we can have a long debate, right, wrong, indifferent. There are all sorts of debates. I'm not getting into that. But here's the problem. My feeling inside of me that like that was a problem. Are you with me? That says that something's not resolved. Joseph could have demanded respect. He could have kept them at a distance. He could have reminded them of the dream. He said, you remember 22 years ago that dream I told you about? Ting, we're here. I told you it would happen. I told you, you know, you could hear the I told you so replay. But he chose to forgive them and he, and he wanted them to come close. Number three. Come on now, if, if you aren't groaning yet, I'm going to get you before this morning's over. Number three, we, we will want them to forgive themselves and not feel guilty. I already read that to you. He said, don't be angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Most of us, what we want is this. We want to be able to say, sure, I forgive you for what you did to me. I forgive you, but I still want you to feel guilty about it. At least for a long while. We love to punish people by giving them a guilt trip. I mean, think about this. Almost all of us, I, I, I won't ask you for a show of hands. I would assume it'd be 100%. But are there people in your life that put you on a guilt trip? Raise your hand. Anybody ever put you on a guilt trip? Sure, I've been on a few guilt trips. You know why they put you on a guilt trip? It's to punish you. That is how they punish you, and that's how you want to punish someone else if you do that. Joseph wasn't looking to punish his brothers. He wanted to set them free. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Joseph living 22 years and still having the capacity, even being in prison that long, to, to release them? And can you imagine the 22 years the brothers lived under that lie? Amazing. We would want them to forgive themselves. Number four, we will let them save face. In verse 7, it says that God sent me before you to preserve a posterity, to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. You did not do this to me, Joseph said. God did this to me. God wanted me in Egypt. God wanted me to get there some way. I probably wouldn't have done this on my own. I wouldn't have gotten here any other way. So this was the Lord's way to get me here. It wasn't you. You ever think that way? You understand that right now, wherever you're at, that God may be involved in that somehow, some way. There are some of us that are mad at what we're facing. We are blaming people. We're saying if it wasn't for them, if it wasn't for this, if it had just gone this way, oh, if only they hadn't got their fingers in it. And we start blaming and shifting blame and pointing at people and saying how it could have turned out different. God got you here because God wanted you here and God was trying to get you at the place you are some way, somehow, but you don't hear him when it's good, so he decides to use what's bad. That's why Romans 8.28 exists, you understand that. God causes all things to work together for good. You understand that phrase right there means it ain't good at the moment. So he's got to cause it to work together for good in order to get you where ultimately he would have you because he can't get you there when it's good. You get a few bucks in your pocket and you get some affirmation under your belt and they promote you into a position and you get a brain cramp. You just seize up. And all of a sudden you just think, you're just it. And God's saying, God. So what does he do? He just lets life happen. And then through that, you become pliable and moldable and leadable and teachable to get you where you need to be. Everyone in this room would like to have the opportunity to save face if it were you. 
Why wouldn't we grant that graciousness to other people by looking them in the eye and saying, it wasn't you, it was God. God's got me right where he wants me. Amen. Number five, we'll protect them from their greatest fears. We'll protect them from their greatest fears. Can you hear the brothers? All of a sudden, it's like, Joseph, I'm back, you know? And they're looking at each other, and I mean, I mean they're shocked, they're shell-shocked, and they're going, oh my God, what are we going to tell Dad? Think about that for just What are we going to say to Dad? I suspect they would have rather died than have to go back and tell their dad, who is aged anyway, and this will probably kill him. So what did Joseph do? Joseph told them exactly what to say and what not to say. He said, this is how you should begin to communicate when you go back and bring dad back. Those of you that grew up in a household that you had brothers and sisters, you had siblings. And if you were, particularly if you were close in age, but sometimes that doesn't even matter. But all of us, I know Tracy tells these stories with her sister and I had happened with my sister. But we would, we would get in fights and arguments and things when mom and dad were away. And something would happen where one person would get the goods on the other one. And then we'd say this. "Um." What comes after that? I'm going to tell. Exactly. You can interpret that. Um. Um. I'm going to tell. And you know what that is? At a very young age, you know what that is? That's called blackmail. That's what that's called blackmail and so what do you get you get then they'll do anything to keep you from telling mom isn't that true i'll do anything don't tell mom and dad i'll do anything i'll do do this i'll do that no and you and you that's how we are when we grew up we blackmail a lot in our society to totally give uh, forgive means we tell only what needs to be known. Again, if you're in therapy or you're in counseling, uh, sometimes you've got to get it all on the table. I, that is the exception. I'm simply saying the only reason we do what we do at times is to punish and to exercise revenge. Number six, it is a lifelong commitment. Folks, we're just going to have to learn this is something we're going to have to do our whole life. You will need to keep forgiving your whole life long. In Genesis 15, this is now some years later, Genesis 50, excuse me, verse 15. Genesis 50, verse 15. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, dad had already passed away. They said, perhaps now Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin. For they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then the brothers also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we're your servants. And Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. For am I in the place of God? Isn't that a great phrase? Joseph looked at his brothers and he said, I'm not God. But as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. In order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Isn't that amazing? You know, whenever a traumatic event happens, and I want you to think about this. Whenever a traumatic event takes place in our life, the hurtful things start rolling around in our mind. And what happens is that we we seem to get through it and we get by it and then we begin to reimagine it again. We get through it, we get by it, and then we begin to reimagine it again. We get through it, we get by it, and we begin to reimagine it again. Only this time when we begin that second or third reimagining, what we begin to do is we begin inserting things. We insert what we wish we had said. I'll tell you what, if I had that chance over again, I know exactly what I'd say. And what we start doing is we start concocting other aspects of the conversation and the event. We replay it even in different ways to to somehow make us feel better what we could have done. And we just get ourselves all stirred up. And when that happens to me, and again, I just confess to you, I got this one sneaky feeling. I've forgiven hundreds of times, but it's just a sneaky one. And whenever that starts twirling again in my brain... 
here's what I do. Number one is I stop and I, I say, this is stupid. This is stupid. And the second thing you've got to realize is you've not forgiven the person and the event. You keep doing it over and over and over again because you think by replaying it, it all the things we talked about last week, it is time to stop the tapes until it doesn't happen anymore. It is a lifelong commitment. There are certain things in your life, probably all your life, you're going to have to make a, choose, a choice to forget and forgive all of those things. Number seven, and then lastly, believe it or not, pray for them to be blessed. Pray for them to be blessed. Oh, now, I, I, you're not groaning out loud, but I can, I can feel the spirit of groan. Joseph wanted to bless his brothers. Can you imagine that? He wanted to bless his brothers. He wanted God, through him, to do some good things to his brothers. I mean, that is just a remarkable thing. Do you realize, though, in Scripture, Job, Job was never restored all of his goods until it says he prayed for his friends that were just a thorn in his side. But the Bible says in Job 42 that when he prayed for his friends, God reversed the whole thing and restored to him twice as much. When he was ready to pray, God was ready to move. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 44, he says, listen to this. Man, hang on. But I say to you, this is in the red, so this is the Lord. I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons or daughters of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Or in other words, what he means is you shall be complete or you shall be mature. It's not errorless. He just means you're going to be complete. Like your father is. God has this remarkable ability to, be, to look at all the dysfunction of our lives. Do you realize we're just half crazy in here this morning? All of us. Awaken, you're crazy. But he can take all of that and look at it, and despite that, he can still bless you and forgive you and love you. And he says this, if, if God can do this towards us, we should be able to begin to do this towards other people and the best example in the early church is in acts chapter 7 which we find stephen you remember stephen was the first martyr preaching the gospel doing everything right but yet stephen is stoned for his faith and the bible tells us in acts chapter 7 verse 60 stephen as he's being stoned listen to me they're throwing stones at him because he was preaching the gospel the bible says this out of stephen's mouth his last words he says lord lay not this charge against them and in the only time we see it recorded in Scripture, he says he looks up into heaven and Jesus, who was seated at the right hand of God the Father, watches Stephen being stoned for his faith. Stephen says, lay not this charge against them. And suddenly he says, the Lord stands. How many of you know God doesn't have to stand to anyone? He stood because he saw somebody forgive in the most unforgivable circumstances. And I just believe the Lord was saying, I respect that. Now I'm just going to give you one caution and I'm done. Never go to the person who offended you and look at them and say, I forgive you. Let me just share with you what will happen. Number one is they'll go, what are you talking about? That's the first thing they'll probably say. They don't even know that it happened. But secondly, it's just your shot again to punish them. I've had people do that all through the years, come up to me and go, Pastor, I want you to know, I've forgiven you. And I'm just going, what did I do? I'm just clueless. I mean, it's not like I stayed up at night figuring out how to offend you. It was just your way to... 
gig. It's what we do to each other all the time. It's our last way. It's like calling the family member on the phone. I forgive you. <laughs> yeah, it's just one more time to go, pow, gotcha. The seven things that I just shared with you are probably as close of an indicator as we can give as to how you know if you've truly forgiven. And if you're like me and you've got that one sneaky feeling, I'm looking at it going, all right, Lord, I understand why you have to empower me now <laughs> because I need your empowerment to do this. I want to do this, but help me to do this. I noticed that when Joseph truly demonstrated forgiveness, it's interesting, as you'll read that whole passage, you don't have time to read it, but when Joseph demonstrated true forgiveness, Pharaoh came back into the situation and he began to bless him again. Do you understand that some of your blessings are being withheld because your forgiveness is not coming forth? Some of you want God to bless you so bad, you want God to open up the heavens and you don't understand. And for some of you, you've tithed, you've sowed, you've given the $1,000 seed offerings, you've given to television ministries, you've done this, you've given the you know, $58 thing off Isaiah 58, you've done it all. Why isn't God blessing me? You know, sometimes it's not another buck, sometimes it's just opening up your heart and saying, I forgive them. And you'd be amazed at when this door opens up, how that door begins to open up. Nelson Mandela is now the Prime Minister of South Africa. He was, at one time, the longest serving political prisoner in the history of the world. Because of his stand against the apartheid system in South Africa, they threw him in jail. And for 27 years, Nelson Mandela was in jail. They were hoping that he'd just rot in jail. The only reason they didn't kill him was because they feared the mass rebellion that would take place in South Africa. After 27 years, he was released. The whole nation held their breath because they weren't sure what was going to happen when Mandela walked out of prison after 27 years of challenging an unjust system. As he came out of the prison cell, the first words out of his mouth were these to his people. He said, I choose to forgive my captors. And he told the people of South Africa to forgive their oppressors. And the whole world expected a bloodbath when he was released. But instead, he was made prime minister. Today, some of you are on the brink of incredible promotion, incredible blessing, incredible influence you're on the brink of a destiny a dream you're on the brink of some of the greatest days of your life and the only thing that stands between your future and where you are right now is your grudge is your bitterness and the good news is god says put it away just as he's forgiven you just forgive him let it go put it in god's hands and you'll be amazed at what god begins to do it isn't for them. Hear me now. It's not for them. It's for you. Would you stand with me, please? Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that your spirit would begin to move through this congregation again. And Lord, you told me, you told me to stay here on this subject for a good number of weeks. Lord, you told me out of a prophetic word that if, that if that if we could root out every single aspect of this, that you could do some incredible things in us as people, individuals, and a congregation. Lord, start with me. Root every grudge. Root every bitter feeling. Root every aspect, every tentacle of unforgiveness. Just root it out now. Lord, I choose. I choose. By an act of my will, I choose. I'm not waiting for the feeling. I, I'm not waiting for that pleasant feeling to come, endearing feeling to forgive. I make a choice. I let them go. I let them go. Some of you, as I prayed right there, it just dawned on me, some of you are waiting for a feeling to forgive. That feeling's never going to come. You just choose. Choose. Choose to lay not this charge. You just choose. And you know what's amazing? That feeling will catch up. It'll catch up. And you'll be glad you did. It's a, it's a self-interested thing. I, I, I fully teach this today. If, if, if you would just allow your self-interest for one brief second to arise, you would know 
that your future would be so much bigger, brighter, and better by forgiving and letting go. Last week we had a good number of folks who came to the wells of the church, the altars of the church, and, and they acknowledged, man, that's been sin in my life. We talked about how bitterness is sin. Now I want to ask you the question, how do you know you've truly forgiven? I just shared with you some of the things in Joseph's life. I don't know about you, but I started going down that list as I was preparing for today, and I'm, I'm going, wow, I'm not sure I've really, truly, honestly maybe let all that go with that one sneaky feeling how about you how about you maybe it was all seven maybe it was just one of the seven but here's what you need to do I don't want you to walk out of here with that grudge I don't want you to walk out of here with the bitterness I don't want you to walk out of here one more second with the heavens closed over your life I don't want that I want you to be blessed and to be helped in these last moments, just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you, if you need to forgive right now, I want you to come. I don't want you to stand. I want you to kneel. I want you to come here to the wells of the church, and you, I just want you to kneel and get before God right now. Just kneel and just say, Lord, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing that I've not really let it go like I needed to let it go. Some of you are, you're like me. I'm going every, every week. I'm, I'm scrawling these out in notes, and I'm reading, and I'm doing this. And every week, every week, I have preached the gospel for 30 years now. Every week I'm going, oh my God, this has got to go. This has got to go. Don't you feel bad if in the next five weeks you find yourself pitching a tent and living down here. This is, this is really the crux of the gospel. It's forgiveness. The Lord forgave you in order that you could forgive others. Spirit of forgiveness. Begin to swirl and move in this place right now. In these people's lives who have gathered, just take a moment again and just confess the sin of unforgiveness. You've got to confess it. I can't, I can't pray prayers for you and you just be there silent. You've got to say out loud, Lord, I'm full of a grudge and bitterness and I'm not doing what I just heard and I've, I've, I've been convicted and I acknowledge that and I'm wrong. You're right. You've got to start saying these things out loud for things to start happening. Say it, say it. I mean, you can whisper it, but you need to say, you need to put substance to it. I'm wrong. I'm wrong for the way I've acted. I'm wrong for the way I felt. I, no one else may even know this. It just twirls around on the inside because you've got to the place where you can smile and act happy, but yet inside it's eating you up. Repentance means I change my mind that results in a change of action. You have to say, I repent. I'm changing my mind. I, I, I don't want to keep it anymore. I'm not looking for ways to keep it. I'm looking for every way I can to release, to release, to release, to release. And I'm changing my action. I'm changing, I'm changing everything about me. As you enable me, Lord, as you enable me, Thank you, Lord. We're just, we're just soaking. There's a spirit of forgiveness, and it's okay to soak just for a minute. We're okay. There's nothing more important to do than to get clean before God. There is nothing more important than, than whole, being whole. Thank you, Lord. I choose to forgive. I choose, I choose, I choose to forgive. I choose to let it go, I choose right now to bless and not curse. I choose that. I choose. Yes, even to let them save face. Yes, I choose to not let them fear me. I choose to let it go. I choose to let the punishment go. Do you understand that when we punish or when we try to punish, we're actually stepping into God's territory? And God says, you're on the wrong step here. Punishment is his vengeance. He says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. It's not yours. It's his. So, it's, and it's not good enough just to say, well, I let it go. I'm going to put it in God's hands. Well, you know what I've learned? It's not just putting them in God's hands so he can pound them. It's saying, Lord, I put them in your hands. Now bless them. Help them. 
Lord, I cast a blessing. You say, that is awkward. It will be for a little bit, but slowly and surely you'll be transformed. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. I'm going to choose to let it go. We're just, just let forgiveness soak on you for a minute. Just let it soak on you for a minute. Come on, let, let, let your hardened area of your heart get softened right now. Let them soften it. It's been hard, hard ground. You justified. But he's just taking it all away and let it become soft again. Now listen to me. God's not telling you to go run back to the person and say, I forgive you. He just, this is between you and God right now. And you know what? It, it may never get reconciled, and that's okay. Reconciliation, it, it takes two people, and it's a two-way street. And, and you can forgive, and that doesn't mean you have to have a relationship with that person. It doesn't mean that. It just means you let it go, and I choose to bless. It's not for them. It's for you. I'm just declaring over you right now. Jesus said to Peter, he said, if you'll retain the sins of any, they'll be retained. And if you remit the sins of any, they'll be remitted. And what he meant by this was, is that there is an appropriate place for a, a minister under authority to declare to you release. So I'm declaring over you folks right now. If you can hear my voice, I'm declaring over you right now. Be free from that bitterness. You're free right now. You're free. You're as free as you'll ever be. You're free from that grudge. Holding. You're free from the scorecard keeping. I'm declaring you to be free. You're saying, well, what happens if I start thinking about it again? Then just say, I'm free. I'm free. There's no power to this. I'm just declaring freedom over you. In Jesus' name, be free. Be whole. Let it go. Be free. Be released. Let the, let the debt go. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, I just ask congregation, everybody right now, extend your hands right now to those who are kneeling here. And we're going to release you in just a minute. But I want the congregation just to lift your hands toward those who are down front here. And I want us all right now just to begin to pray right now in the Spirit. Just begin to pray right now in understanding. Release the Spirit of forgiveness. Come on now. Come on, let all bitterness and wrath and and, 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 and clamoring let it be released right now evil speaking let it be released right now in Jesus name let it be released right now in Jesus name let the love of God it says that the love of God casts out all fear we just declare the love of God beginning to drive out everything that causes fear and vengeance we cast it out in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus let love, let love replace the bitterness that, that was in your heart. God's not just pulling out an area of your life. He's replacing it with love and hope and joy. And that's how he wants you to live. And truth of the matter is, you're going to have to practice this again probably with someone else next week. But isn't it good to know you can do that? You can walk in forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, for doing that right now in these people's lives. Now, everyone that's kneeling right here, I want you just to stay. You don't have to leave. I'm going to release the congregation. But if you need to spend some time at the cross, if you need to get a revelation of God's forgiveness towards you in order to forgive someone, you don't have to rush away from the altars. But I'm going to release the congregation here in just a minute. But you can hang tough and, and continue to pray. And I want you to have breakthrough. I don't want you just to come and the message moved you, but I want you to get a breakthrough in God. Amen. And congregation, I'm going to release you right now. And as you're released... We have a great foyer that you can fellowship in. And so I encourage you, if you want to talk a little bit, uh, please be sensitive to what they're doing down front here. And, and as you go into the foyer, you can fellowship and laugh and have a great time there. But let me dismiss you. Father, I dismiss the congregation. Lord, I thank you for them. I pray now, Lord, that what they've heard, Lord, they would retain and it would be applied. And that, Lord, perhaps today is a good day that, that all their accounts are up to date and everything's settled. And we rejoice in that. We can live that way. But Lord, there are going to be challenges as we work with people. And Lord, I pray that somehow, some way, you'd always keep at the forefront of their spirit, Lord, the notion that they've got to walk in forgiveness. So Lord, let it be so with us as a church. 
Lord, as we, as we tarry here, Lord, we believe you're pulling out some, some weeds in the foundation, some weeds in what has grown up, and you're, and you're putting in good, fertile soil and, 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 and fruit. And Lord, we receive that. Thank you for doing that. And so we bless them as we release them right now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Praise God. We're glad you're here. Remember, nothing by way of teaching on Wednesday night, this week only. Music practice, yes.